Good morning. So what is the worst anxiety that you have ever faced? The time when you felt like you had the least amount of peace that you've ever experienced. It could be this morning, I don't know. It could be a few years back. I did a survey of my own life and I started walking through different periods of my life all the way back to whenever I was about five or six years old in a department store and my mom gave me that that speech, as soon as we get home, son, you're getting a spanking. And man, I remember, I remember, oh my goodness, I remember thinking, this is bad. And you know, the anticipation of what it's going to be like, and the long trip home, and, and going inside the house, and then it's finally over, and it's like, okay, you got some relief. But then, you know, there's other anxieties. I remember facing a bully when I was in sixth grade, and going to the bus stop, I felt that anxiety. And then it was grades and how am I doing in junior high and high school? And then it's, well, where am I going to college? Well, what am I going to major in in college? And then it's, well, where am I going to work? What kind of a job am I going to have? And then it's, well, I'd like to get married. Who am I going to marry? What's marriage going to be like? And then we had trouble having kids. Well, are we ever going to have children? And then you have a child I'm like, oh my gosh, now what do I do? What's he going to be like? How's he going to turn out? What kind of a parent am I going to be? And then it was moving out to Wyoming. Oh, my goodness. What is this going to be like? And then facing the death of a parent. And every stage in your life is going to bring new opportunities, new circumstances that you're going to have to face. And what's that going to be like? How are you going to face the ongoing struggle of just living? I don't know which of those anxieties has been the worst. I know that through all those transitions, some have been easier and, and some have been harder. There's a quote, though, from a man named Donald Miller. He's a great author. If you've ever read any of his books, he said, As long as a Christian is in the world, he will be pressed as though by a great mob. He will be crushed in spirit as though great crushing weights were lying on his chest. He will know spiritual anguish like that of a mother in labor. <clears throat> this Jesus has told us. That's what I want to talk about this morning. With all the challenges, those anxieties, how can I have peace when I'm in times of trouble, in times of difficulty? The passage we're going to look at this morning comes from John chapter 16. John chapter 16, we'll start with verse 25, we'll read down through verse 33. Please stand with me for the reading of God's Word, John chapter 16 starting with verse 25. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, do you now believe? 
Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and you will and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I've said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. You may be seated. We are continuing to see that Jesus Christ is our living hope. He became a man. He came to earth to live a life like a human being lives, to die and to rise again. And John told us, once again, why he wrote the book of John. In John 20, verses 30 and 31, please read off the screen with me. Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. This morning I want to talk about our subject like this. First we'll talk about our predicament, because we are in a predicament. The fact that you're living and you're here on earth means you are in a predicament. Then we'll talk about God's provision. He didn't just leave us alone in our predicament. Finally, we'll talk about focusing on Christ to gain God's peace, and well, how do you do that? If it was easy, we would all just do it. It's not always that easy. So let's start out now with this first part. Let's talk about our predicament. And Jesus is starting a lengthy prayer. He's starting to end this, this upper room discourse. Remember, he's inching every moment closer to the Garden of Gethsemane, then his arrest, and then the cross. Judas is in the background getting the officials together. And look at how this section begins. I have said these things. So we're switching to a different part of the discussion. Jesus said, I've been speaking to you in figures of speech. I know it's been somewhat cryptic. And the reason he was doing that, he was out of love for them. He knew they couldn't handle the whole truth straightforwardly. So he spoke in parables. He spoke in these figures of speech because he loved these disciples. He knew how they needed to receive the message. And the fact is, until Christ is resurrected, these disciples are not fully getting what's going on. The plain speak, as Jesus describes it, is talking about the time when the Holy Spirit would come. And he would reveal things to them, help them understand what's happening, make it all plain. But now they're about to get hit by the storm. This is the deep silence, the foreboding. This is a sorrowful group of men waiting to see what's going to happen. Now look at what Jesus says in the middle of verse 33. In the world, you will have tribulation. Now he's told them they'll have sorrow. He's told them they'll be hated because he was hated. And now he's telling them straightforward, you're going to have tribulation. Some verses, uh, versions say trouble and suffering. It's this Greek word thlipsis, and it means the bad stuff of life from outward circumstances things that are happening to you to your inward circumstances sometimes how you have responded to something you have tribulation and you have trouble and you will have those things because living means trouble and suffering so life is a problem in and of itself it's difficult and it brings trouble and in addition to that, secondly, we overestimate our understanding of what's going on around us. We think we know what's going on. 
We think we know why, and we don't. Look at these disciples. Uh, you know, he's telling them how dearly loved they are by him and the Father, but he's been cryptic in speech, and I'll talk a moment more about that. But look at their reaction in verse 28. Well, starting with verse 20, Jesus sums up his whole mission in verse 28. He says, I come from the Father. He said, I've come into the world, and now I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. That is a beautiful summary of the life of Christ. I was with the Father, I came down to the world, then I went back up to the Father. That's what he did. Father to the world, back to the Father. And the disciples are like, oh, now we get it. Now you're speaking in the language we can understand. And it's like they have this epiphany in verses 29 and 30. The disciples said, ah, now you're speaking plainly, not using figurative speech and and now we know that you know all good things and do not need to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Well, they just get it now, don't they? No, they don't get it. They are wrong. And I love what one commentator said, no misunderstanding is more pathetic than that which thinks it no longer exists. It's pathetic because they still misunderstand. Oh, they don't know that they misunderstand. It's like what a pastor told me about young men getting married. He said, Chad, there's two kinds of young men that get married. The ones that don't get it and the ones that don't know that they don't get it. <laughs> and the second category is even worse than the first. They think he's no longer speaking in figures of speech. And he was speaking this future time when they would fully get it. Now, his revelation did help them to believe. I mean, he's not saying they don't have faith. He just knows they don't get it like they think they get it. And we taught them about God and his ways. If they really got it, they would have better understood what's happening when the crisis came. And then you see Christ's response in 31. Do you now believe? There's a note of sarcasm in that. Do you really and the response of the disciples after the resurrection is going to challenge this assertion they're making now. They'll desert him soon. Peter's going to deny that he even knows Jesus. And when I read that story of Jesus in Gethsemane, here's the problem. Here's the problem when I come to the scriptures is I always think, well, I would have stayed awake if I'd. It's a pity I wasn't there with the time of Christ because I would have stayed awake in Gethsemane. I would have been like these Pharisees. As a matter of fact, Lord, put me back in the Old Testament. I wouldn't have joined in with those Israelites. Strangely, I'm always the hero in the story when I read it. <laughs> Most of us do this. As a matter of fact, they've done research on this. It's called illusory superiority. And if you're familiar with that radio show called um, Prairie Home Companion with Garrison Keeley, you remember his assessment of Lake Wobegon when he lived there. He'd said the... Uh, the men are good-looking, the women are strong, and the children are all what? They're all above average. That tends to be our self-assessment. We inflate our positive qualities and abilities, especially when we compare ourselves to, to other people. And, and so this is, our, this is our predicament. Life brings problems. We overestimate ourselves, and then we also we experience anxiety. We experience anxiety. As a matter of fact, it's so bad in the United States. This is just this past week. 
this preventative task force in the United States said we need to make it mandatory that everyone under the age of 65 is tested for anxiety. It is the number one health problem in the United States. And if you go to Philippians 4, 6, the most underlined verse in the entire Bible is do not be anxious. And even as Christians, we're not immune to the pain and, and suffering. But does God leave us there? He does not. He makes provisions for us. And we see two provisions that God makes in this passage. He doesn't just leave us alone, <clears throat> excuse me, leave us alone to suffer. First of all, he gives us understanding. He does give us understanding. Look at verse uh, 25. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech. I will tell you plainly about the Father. Now again, Jesus is using language that they'll understand. He knows they don't fully get it. They won't fully get it till they see him resurrected. But they will receive help from the Holy Spirit. He's going to continue to unpack the meaning of the revelation that's, that's bound up with Christ the Messiah. And, and the Holy Spirit is present with us. And he knows what we need from God. He helps us. He helps us uh, when we pray. Because we don't even always know what to pray. We do the best we can. We do pray. But he is a helper that comes along beside us. And we have to have him to understand and apply the word of God. I almost think about uh, the Holy Spirit. If you've ever been in, uh, in, in the dentist's office and you've been in the dentist chair and you come in there with a toothache and it's like, you know, I really need some help with this tooth. And uh, he said, okay, Chad, I can help you. And you're laying there. But then the hygienist comes along and they start speaking this other language, you know, uh, it's upper right seven this and occlusal that. And then they'll break in and start asking a few questions about what you do. And it's nice to hear that. Then they start talking their own language again. But then you walk out and by the grace of God, you don't have a toothache. You didn't understand all language. You didn't know everything that was going on. But the Holy Spirit works in a similar way. There's a language going on that when we can't even find the words to pray, he's helping us through it. He's helping us through the things that we don't understand. So he gives us this understanding. It's a, a work he does on your soul. In the same way a, a doctor helps the body, the spirit is helping the soul and spirit. He communicates to you. He helps you understand and apply God's word. He provides the understanding we need to get the peace we need. And that's the second provision, that God provides peace during problems. Look at how Jesus responds in verse 32. He said, Behold, the hour is coming... Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered each to his own home and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. Jesus knows how horribly these guys are about to fail. And some of them will stick with him. As a matter of fact, the Apostle John will evidently be very close by during the actual crucifixion. Jesus will look down and speak to John. <clears throat> but they're going to scatter like scared chicks. But he says, I'm not going to be alone. And he knows they're going to feel really bad about what they're about to do. But he says, the Father will be with them. Then we get to verse 33, and he reveals reasons for his revelation about the future. In verse 33, he says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. 
he ends this section with what he said in the beginning. That, that phrase, I have said these things. Why did he say them? That in Christ, his disciples may have peace. That, by the way, is not based on their performance. Because the disciples performed horribly. And we will perform horribly. <clears throat> now, what kind of peace is this? Because peace can mean a couple of different things. Peace can mean that you no longer have enemies. And therefore, you're at peace. Or this other meaning that I think is what's coming from the passage, or that you can be free from anxiety while you're struggling with the enemies around you. And that's what Jesus has in mind here. I mean, who could not be at peace when there's no trouble? As a matter of fact, if it were not for anxiety, we probably wouldn't even need the word peace. But peace exists because there is trouble and anxiety in the world. But if there was no trouble or difficulty, anybody could have peace. As a matter of fact, as an author, Don Miller, he, he illustrates this. He says, it's noteworthy, for example, for a housewife to be at peace about her housework if she happens to have no children, little company, every modern convenience, servants to do her menial tasks. He says, it is astonishing, however, when a mother of five children, many visiting relatives, few conveniences, and no servants can work without excitement, without fretting, without worry, moving majestically through the confusion of her overburdened days with poise and dignity. This type of peace, serenity in the midst of confusion, is, the, is superior to the easier peace because it abides while conquering obstacles rather than avoiding them. So Jesus has been telling them that by being in the world they're in, they'll have trouble, but God will provide peace in the trouble, in the hard times. But see, the hard part is when you are in that storm, not to focus on the storm. But see, that really is key. And it's the anxiety that wells up in response to these circumstances we're in. See, that's really the problem. As a matter of fact, if you look at what Paul said in, Philipp, in Philippians 4, 6, he didn't say... Do not allow unfavorable circumstances in your life that can cause anxiety. That's not what he said. He said, do not be anxious. See, the anxiety is what the problem is. It's not the circumstance. It's the anxiety itself that wells up in us. So I want to talk about these, uh, how do we keep their focus off the problem, on God, gain this peace? How do we do that? And first of all, and hear this very well because it's going to sound trite when I first say it, you have to accept his love. You have to know that you are dearly loved, so much so the Father was willing to sacrifice his son for your sins. Verses 26 and 27, he repeats something he said. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. And look at these connections. Jesus is saying again, talking about this time after the resurrection, the Father would grant their request because they've loved his Son, because they've believed, and they'll be asking things in line with the will of the Father. And the disciples are told what kind of privileges they're going to have, what kind of things they can enjoy after the resurrection. So look at the emphasis Jesus is placing 
on the relationship they'll have with the Father. The Father loves them. And they'll make requests of him and have their prayers answered. And Jesus is saying he wants the people to understand that in my name doesn't mean they're distanced from God. And that he conveys their request to the Father. It does not mean that I will ask the Father on your behalf. That's not it. But the Father himself loves you. See, it's kind of like, have you ever had like a really, really good friend growing up? Like maybe it was like your best friend. And you're at their house all the time. And you got to know their parents. I had one of my best friends growing up uh, was Kenan Chambers. His dad's name was Frank. And Frank was one of these guys that, you know, he, he loved working on cars. And so anytime we needed to have a radio installed, we'd go to Kenan's garage and his dad would come out. He'd help us install a, a car radio. And it got to the point where I was so close with his dad, I no longer needed to go through Kenan to talk to Frank. It was kind of like I was there a lot and I was just like another kid in the family. That's like what Jesus is describing here. He's saying, look. Dad's adopting you. As a matter of fact, you're going to have direct access to him. And he'll listen to you. And he'll answer your prayers. Because you are that deeply loved. So they'll enjoy the privilege of having God as their father. And we have God as our father. And we are deeply loved by him. Tell yourself that in the middle of the night when you wake up and your brain's going a thousand miles an hour and you're wondering, how can I shut this off? God loves me. Speak, speak truth. Say it out loud if you have to. Don't wake somebody up, though. It's, it could get freaked out if I hear you just chanting in the middle of the night. God loves you. And then, secondly, take heart. Take heart. Jesus tells them in verse 33, he said, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Take heart. That means to be courageous. It means to be brave. He said, take heart. But the reason to take heart is as important as the command itself. Because, see, understand what he's not saying. He's not saying take heart because you can overcome the world. No, he's not saying that at all. As a matter of fact, he knows you can't overcome the stuff that you're going to be facing. You know, if, if you ever, whenever I started playing drums, there was a man at the church I was at who was an amazing drummer. He played for like 20 years, and I was getting ready to sit down and play. And he sat down and said, Chad, just play it like this. And he proceeded to throw about 100 drum beats into about a five-second window. And he said, see, look, if I can do it, you can do it. Well, that was one of the most discouraging things he could have said because I knew I couldn't do it. Or if somebody that you know is a genius aces a test and said, look, I got a great grade, you'll get one too. Well, that's not helpful because I'm not as good a student as you are. But see, Jesus is saying, I have already done the work. And all you have to do is trust in what I've already done. See, I have overcome the world. I overcame sin. I overcame death. I lived the life that you're living right now, and I've, I've overcome it. And now you're going to be in me. And when you screw up, the Father's going to look down. He's going to see my righteousness. Don't worry about when you mess up. Pray about it. Try not to do it again. Confess. Repent. But your sins are forgiven. 
If your family doesn't appreciate you, take heart. Jesus faced the same thing in his family. If you're facing death, take heart. Jesus overcame death. Whatever anxiety you're facing, take heart because the the king summons you to come to him and enjoy his victory with him. Then finally, I want to share this quote. I've got one more point after this, but this is the last half of something I'd said earlier. Jesus said, have courage. I have faced your enemy and vanquished him. I have fought your battle on the battleground of human experience where you must fight. I have routed the foe. You can never do it, but I have done it, and I can do it again in you. Abide in me, and my victory is yours. This is the last half of what Miller said earlier. Whenever he said that you will be crushed by this world, he went on to say, This Jesus has told us, when he speaks, therefore, of peace, it is not the peace of unruffled days, but the inner confidence of the warrior who is weary, thirsty, outnumbered, and wounded, but who fights bravely on, confident of the outcome, assured of victory. We are saved not from trouble. We are saved in trouble. Take heart. Christ has overcome the world. And then finally, enjoy his peace. You know, in America, we get to enjoy a a peace because brave men have fought to give us a peaceful land. They've done so in other countries as well. People have fought hard and countries enjoy peace, but we can still have anxiety in our hearts. And Christ won the battles so that we don't have to have that anxiety. I will not tell you that I do not experience anxiety because I do. But I'm learning it does not have to be that way. And it is getting less. Putting all this together. Be courageous and enjoy the peace won by Christ. Be courageous and enjoy the peace won by Christ. You know, there was a story of a, of a king in a, like a, in a distant land. And he had a, a contest. He said, I want someone to paint the most peaceful picture that you can think of. Then we'll all vote on it and we'll decide which painting wins the contest. And the first painting came in, and it was a beautiful, tranquil lake. And it was, you know, mountains in the background. It was peaceful, and it was calm. And and it just seemed like a total picture of peace and serenity. But then a second painting came in. And it had waterfalls bursting over a cliff. And there was a storm going on in the background. And it was lightning. And there were jagged mountains in the back. But then if you look in the very center of this, you'll see a little bird with its wings stretched over a nest. So the people voted. And the king declared the winner. He said the painting was this one. And the people were confused, some upset, and they explained the decision. He said, peace is not the absence of conflict. Peace is a state of mind. Those who experience peace have love in their hearts even when turmoil surrounds them. See, as Christians, we never have to question that we're loved. We never have to question about whether or not peace is available. It's always available in Christ. Let's pray together. Almighty God, let us know the kind of peace that you provide and let it prevail in our hearts and in our minds. And Lord, we are tempted to look at the the storm, the the horrible thing that's happening, the circumstance that's there, Lord, God, I pray that we would remember 
that when you were in the boat with those disciples, and there was a horrible storm, you questioned them. You said, have courage. You were with them. Lord, and you're here with us. And I pray that we would trust you more and more every day. I pray that we would not let our circumstances waylay us, but we would remember your truth in the storm. And that we would enjoy the peace that you provide. And we ask this in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.